Welcome, Birdland, to the final strike brought to you by the Baltimore Battery. This is Stephen here, your host, and we will be coming to you, bringing you different topics related to Birdland. So it's going to cover the team. It's going to cover players, injuries, coaching moves, all that. Um, we also will delve deep into the minor league system, and we will discuss various things that make Birdland Birdland. So sit right down, climb right up, and take a listen to what we got today. We're going to start off today talking about Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, the reason we want to bring him up is the Norfolk Tides open up their season tonight at 635 against the Durham Bulls. And Grayson Rodriguez will be taking the mound for the Norfolk Tides. The reason we bring this up is because going into spring training, it was well believed that Grayson Rodriguez was going to make the rotation for the Baltimore Orioles. And unfortunately, by the end of spring training, it was discovered he was going to go down to AAA. Part of that having to do with in his final 10.2 innings of work, he gave up 14 runs, 11 of them earned. Tyler Wells was a little bit better over his last two outings, which created him winning the fifth and final rotation spot for the Baltimore Orioles. Some of the things that um, I noticed in little video footage that I did see of Grayson Rodriguez, he had no problems getting through the lineup the first time. So, you know, nobody knew what to expect first time through, but come the second time through, everybody had him pegged. I don't know if he was tipping pitches. I don't know if he wasn't mixing enough pitches in. Um, he is deemed to have one of the better change-ups of the pitchers in the minor league system, so I don't know if maybe he depended too much on the fastball change-up combination, but his other secondary pitches are supposed to be pretty good, and for a pitcher who's supposed to be a top-caliber starting rotation ace, that's something you're a little concerned about. So a few things that I might have picked up on you know, being a former pitcher or somebody who's also studied, studied pitching and helped work with some people on pitching, a couple things that might be going on here is mechanics is the first thing that you're going to look for. Whether he's rushing his rotation, whether he's not repeating the mechanics to perform the same delivery, even his lineup on the mound is various different things that can contribute to the problems that he is having. I got in an argument with somebody on Twitter the other day about his confidence possibly being down because of this. And they said that I was guessing that I don't know for a fact. It is true. It is a possibility. But as somebody who is a pitcher, when you start pressing and you start throwing instead of pitching, you do start getting beat up by your own confidence because you start wondering what's going to happen next, how it's going to change, what's going to affect. And when you're trying to make a ball club, it's definitely the last thing you want on your mind. So Hopefully this trip down to AAA, you know, possibly you're looking at, you know, four to six weeks, maybe a little bit longer, gets him back in the groove of things, gets back to the Grayson Rodriguez that we all saw, and we get Grayson Rodriguez that all of us are hopeful for back up in the bigs not too far in the future. Things to remember with Grayson, though, is last season when he started becoming the frontline starter for the Norfolk Tides, he was still only pitching four, maybe five innings. So he was never really fully stretched out to start and go those five, six, seven innings that you would need from your starting pitching in the big leagues. And that's something that you have to consider when he was getting ready to start that regimen is when he got hurt. Now, Grayson Rodriguez has gone through his career without having much of a significant injury, and it's something coming from him that he had said. So this was a little bit of a new thing to him. Um, great training staff with the Baltimore Orioles, so that's one thing that I will always allude to. Uh, he came back before the timeline was originally considered and was able to debut again in September 
uh, for the Norfolk Tides. Pitched in three games. Unfortunately, never made it to the bigs. So I don't know if that has something to do with it is that there was that long layoff before the end of the season, the three games, and then another long layoff going into the offseason. So kind of have to prepare yourself differently when you have an injury. You have that long layoff, then you get to ramp back up, and then you have that long layoff again before you ramp back up. So I don't know if maybe that had something to do with it. Maybe his conditioning might have been a little bit behind because of that. I don't know, but I think it's something that we're going to see fixed relatively soon. So we'll be watching tonight, and we're going to see what happens, and we'll get back to you and let you know, is Grayson Rodriguez taking those steps to make forward and get involved with the uh, Baltimore Orioles rotation sooner rather than later? So we'll look forward to that. Um, moving along, we want to discuss the Orioles' 10-9 to victory yesterday over the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Kyle Gibson made his debut for the Baltimore Orioles. Didn't do half bad, you know. He did leave the game with two runners on base, but at the time, he had only given up those two runs. Uh, of course, those two runners on base do get charged to him, even though the bullpen gave them up. So he did end up with a line of five innings and four earned runs on six hits. He did strike out three and walk only one. So not a great outing, not a horrible outing either. Kind of what I'm expecting. If we can get, you know, six, seven innings out of Gibson each time, you know, I expect him to give up three or four runs each time. And with the offense that we have, I don't foresee us having a problem struggling in those games. There are going to be games where, yes, we're going to have people slumping and it's going to trickle down and our offense will score zero, one, or two runs. But I think for the most part, we're going to see four to six runs scored regularly from this offense. Um, Adley Rushman was all worldly yesterday, going five for five with a home run, four singles, a run scored, and an RBI or four RBIs. So we got to see what Adley Rushman that we've been waiting for looked like. It was his first opening day. Um, became the first catcher since 1901 to actually get five hits and reach base six times in a game. Um, also the first Baltimore Oriole to ever do that since the Orioles moved to town in 1954. So that's a big thing. He also became the first Oriole catcher to homer and an opener since Matt Wieters way back in 2013. So some interesting statistics from uh, career day for Adley Rushman. Uh, Ramon Urias had a two-run home run, and it was a shot. If anybody got to see the game or was at the game, they could see that thing climb the monster and came down about four or five rows back of the monster. So you were able to get a nice, no doubter, out of Ramon Urias. Uh, he had another good game. He was honestly not expected to play by many pundits. We honestly expected uh, Gunnar Henderson to be playing third base and possibly Anthony Santander or Kyle Stowers playing at the DH spot. Um the other one playing in the outfield. And honestly, after what I saw in the outfield yesterday, I, I don't know. We might have been better off with Kyle Stowers out in the outfield. Uh, the outfield did not look good. Austin Hayes had an 0 for 5 game. Uh, he was the only player for the Baltimore Orioles not to reach base. Um, but Anthony Santander misplayed a couple balls. Um, Austin Hayes had, had a uh, problem with the ball over at a tarp. Him and Ryan Mountcastle in an inning which led to a run being scored and a player moving into scoring position as well. This was during the five runs that the Baltimore, or Boston Red Sox scored in the last two innings of the game. So there were some definite miscues. And, you know, there were some problems for the Boston Red Sox outfield as well. So I don't know if it was the wind, the sun, combination of both, maybe opening day jitters, but 
definitely there were some things that looked amiss there. Um, the Orioles have one of the top defenses in baseball last season. Um, they were seventh in defensive rating, and they were ninth in defensive run save. So seeing the miscues and the mistakes that they had yesterday is a little concerning because the addition of Adam Frazier was supposed to bring forth stronger defensive production. So I don't know. When when you lose Rogio Odor um, and you add Adam Frazier, you expect improvement in defense, not unimprovement. And one of the things that was concerning, and I don't know how many people got to witness this watching the game, or even at the ballpark, but there seemed to be a communication issue between uh, Jorge Mateo and Adam Frazier. Glaring difference was on a play where Mount Castle fielded the ball on the first base side, um, went to throw to second base, and there was nobody covering. So, unfortunately, run scored. He has to go to first base, get the out there, but what could have been an inning and double play turned into a run scoring um fielder's choice and unfortunately those are the little things that you hope to work out in spring training we should not be seeing these in the regular season um adam frazier did make some very good attempts on some balls that were hit into the right center um right field and center field areas um so i will give him the effort was definitely there i think later on as the season progresses we're going to see more of those those plays snagged you know, um, it still is early in the season. It was a cold uh, game time temperature of 38 degrees yesterday. So, you know, that, that stiffens you up a little bit, makes the ball hit a little bit harder off the bat. Um, and what I mean by that is that bat vibrates. So you feel it all the way down the bat when that ball hits it. So, you know, hopefully small things. We're hopefully hoping for better weather uh, come game time tomorrow. We do have Dean Kramer taking the mound. Um, against Christopher Sale. Uh, so we'll, we'll look forward to that. That game time tomorrow is going to be at 4.10 p.m. Um, looking ahead at that, um, game will be on NESN and Orioles Masson 2. Um, don't know what the temperature is going to be. It's going to be at Fenway Park. Let's see. Let's see what the temp is going to be in Boston tomorrow. Temperature in Boston. So it looks like the temperature tomorrow around game time should be about 61 degrees with a 30% chance of rain. It does look like it will rain earlier in the day. Uh, you have a strong 80 to 90% chance of rain going from 7 a.m. until about 12 p.m. And then it steadily declines from there. Uh, 4 o'clock, it's saying 30% chance of rain. By 5 o'clock, it's going to be 20% partly sunny, 61 degrees. So we'll have a little bit warmer temperature. Game time, if it goes anywhere close to like yesterday, it's going to end with game temperatures around 59 degrees. Thunderstorms are projected later on in the day starting around 8 o'clock. So hopefully the game gets in without any problems. You know, April Fool's Day, so hopefully we have no April Fool's jinx going on with our team. And we are talking about a 2-0 start. Um, realistically, that's what we think should happen. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see Chris Sale back in the game. Um, Chris Sale is, of course, the storied pitcher from the last three years. Has pitched a total of, I don't even think he's made 20 starts in the last three years. 
Um, so it's going to be something to pay attention to because his health is definitely always going to be a concern. It seems going forward. Um, Dean Kramer, you know, who had a pretty strong spring, pretty good outing in the World Baseball Classic. You know, he returns after having a uh, 3.23 ERA last season across 22 games. He became the first Orioles starter since Wei-In Chen in 2016 to accomplish that feat. So we're looking for big things from him. Um, he did strike out 87 batters in 125 innings, uh, 125 and a third to be exact. Um, and his whip was 1.25. So not horrible numbers. He did have some very strong starts for us. He induces a lot of ground ball outs. But I think that as he learns to pitch and his uh, his his skills and talent catch up to him, I think we're going to see more strikeouts. I can actually see him striking out six to eight batters a game um, on a consistent basis based off what I'm seeing. Um, so, you know, watching the spring training games that I was able to uh, see, seeing some of the video footage I've seen, I think Dean Kramer takes an extra step forward this year, and I think we're going to see good things from him. Um, number two starter, I think, honestly, that's his top level. I think that's the best we're going to see from him. I don't foresee him taking that step to be the number one starter. He doesn't have that it factor that your number one starters too do. And I know that most starters – in the big leagues are all good pitchers, but, you know, to have a clear-cut number one starter, a Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, you know, uh, Jacob deGrom-type pitcher, there's an it factor that they possess that, you know, your secondary third pitchers don't possess. So not that I'm dissing on Dean Kramer in the least bit because I think the kid is awesome. You know, as a player from Israel and a fellow Jewish person, I think the world of Dean Kramer. I love the guy. I actually have an autographed card of his. Um, so I'm expecting big things from him. I'm expecting big things from the Orioles rotation altogether. Um, I think Kyle Bradish takes a step forward and has a huge year for us. I have him predicted to win at least 14 games. I think Cole Irvin's going to surprise a lot of people and is a better pitcher than people realize. You know, being left-hander, playing in Oakland, which is not exactly the greatest pitcher's park in the world. Um, it's not a great hitter's park either. So, you know, you kind of have an in-between. But I think coming over here to Baltimore, being a left-handed pitcher and with the new Baltimore in play, I think we're going to see a Cole Irvin that is capable of winning anywhere from 13 to 16 games for us. And as a number four starter, that's going to be huge. Tyler Wells is Tyler Wells. He was one of our best pitchers last year from May until July when he got hurt. So, I think our rotation is going to be surprise a lot of people. I think Kyle Gibson is going to be more surprising than people realize. I think he's going to be a step up for Jordan Lott from Jordan Lyles. And the only reason I say that is because he has the postseason experience. He has the World Series experience. Um, one of the things that a lot of people did not attest to when the Orioles made their signings this offseason, you know, they traded for Jordan, uh, they traded for Cole Irvin. Um, they signed Michael Gibbons, they traded for James McCann, and they signed Kyle Gibson. Three of those players have significant postseason experience, and that's important. Um, you know, especially for a young nucleus that we have, those types of players are going to be veteran leaderships. They're going to tell you how to prepare and how to get ready and um, endure the long season while also preparing to play for the postseason. You know, the Orioles to sniff the postseason last year, falling short, unfortunately, last week. I'm projecting at least 88 wins from the team this year and getting into the wild card. Um, so that that's where I sit on top of that. So we're going to see what happens with it. 
going forward, and we're going to see if these projections unwind and turn in properly. Hopefully I'm right. I really do. But I think Kyle Gibson's going to be a key contributor to our team. Um, does he last the whole season? Does he get traded at midseason? I don't know. I do see the guy capable of winning anywhere from 10 to 13 games for us, you know, close to a 500 record like last year. You know, if he goes 12 and 9, I'll be happy with that, especially for a veteran starter anchoring the front of a young pitching staff. And don't forget, you know, come June, July, we get John Means back. You know, Buck Showalter said the same comment last year with Jacob DeGrom. It's like getting a player at the trade deadline to boost your team. John Means can come back and be anywhere close to the John Means that we know. It's going to be a significant boost for our team. So that's something to pay attention to. We get D.L. Hall's control under um, control. That's going to be another boost. So, you know, there's so many pokers in the fire here. And for the first time in a long time, the Baltimore Orioles have starting pitching depth. That's not something that you could have said two, three, hell, ten years ago. So that's something that I'm looking forward to, you know, utilizing to our benefit. If somebody goes down, we have somebody who's available. Next up, Austin Volf, Michael Ballman, you know, Grayson Rodriguez, D.O. Hall. We have the ability for these pitchers to step in if needed and do more. Even Keegan Aiken, who used to be a starter, don't want him going back. But in a pinch, he's available for a starting role if you have to have a swing starter. I don't foresee too many bullpen games this year. Um, I don't even know if maybe there might be a stretch here in the beginning months where we might have to go the six-man rotation. I don't foresee the Orioles utilizing that because, A, you take away from the starting pitching depth. B, you also lose an arm out of the bullpen. So that's something we don't want to see happen. So we'll see. We'll find out. We'll go from there, and we'll make sure that, you know, we stay on top of it and pay attention. So – I want to thank you all for tuning in uh, to the final strike. Hopefully this continues going forward and we get more of this and I get some listeners involved. Um, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your uh, listening. I appreciate the Baltimore Battery for helping along with this. And until next time, Birdland, peace out. Thank you very much. What's going on, Birdland? Stephen here for the final strike. I will be your host starting with episode eight tonight. Uh, we'll be with you for the next 20, 25 plus minutes. Uh, and we're here to talk about the Orioles. So we're going to jump right into it. And we're going to discuss the Orioles over the last four games. Uh, we have come into May and the meat and bones of our schedule is starting to pick up as we are facing uh, six teams that are potential playoff contenders um, this season. So for this month, um, we went through Atlanta one and two. Uh, we're now facing Tampa Bay. Luckily, we are home for three. We did drop the opener last night. Um, one and three so far against these the top two offensive teams in the league. Um, the interesting aspect is what everybody was concerned about going into these series was our starting pitching has not been the problem. The problems honestly been on offense where in the last four games we're 5 for 39 with runners in scoring position, which comes up to a 128 batting average. Uh, it doesn't matter what you're doing pitching-wise, you're not going to get anything accomplished going 5 for 39 with runners in scoring position. Um, just so you know, the loss last night to the Tampa Bay Rays was the Orioles' first loss in 12 series this year to open a series. So we're now 11-1 on season openers. Uh, that tied a um, – Orioles record. Um, so 
unfortunately, one streak had to end eventually, and that was the one um, against Tampa Bay. It's our first series against them this season. Um, will be a, a real good litmus test for some of the young talent to, to experience and go up against and, you know, show what we're capable of. We were 9-10 and 10 last season against Tampa Bay, which was an improvement um, from the seasons of 2019 to 2021. We went a combined 12-36. and 36. So uh, we, we improved a little bit there last year, but we're still in the progress of getting up to that upper echelon of where Tampa Bay is playing right now which hopefully they'll come out of the stratosphere and back down to earth and play, you know, with the rest of us. Um, after last night's loss, uh, 3 nothing loss to Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay now has as many shutout victories as they do total losses as a team. Tampa Bay is 29-7, and seven, so they've shut out seven opponents and only lost seven games. It's pretty impressive. Anyway, back to what I was going into about the starting pitching. Over the last four games against Atlanta and Tampa, two of the top offensive teams in the league, our starters uh, pitched a combined 21 innings, 2.86 ERA, and we won one game out of those four. So definitely not the pitching that was the concern for everybody going into this series. As Dean Kramer went six innings, one earned run, arguably I think his best start of the season. Uh, I think it trumps the start he did against the Nationals where he shut them out. This just was a lockdown performance by Dean Kramer. Kyle Bradish. Five innings, three earned runs, eh, a little bit high on the earned run side in five innings. But if I can get a starter giving me five innings and three earned runs, I will take that any day. Our offense normally is not going to have a problem scoring that many runs as we saw in the beginning part of the season when we were averaging 4.86 runs per game. Tyler Wells, who is another phenomenal pitcher that we seem to have stolen from the Minnesota Twins. He went five innings in an earned run against Atlanta. Unfortunately, nothing to show for that as we dropped that game in 12 innings. So it's, it's, you know, the pitching's been there. Gibson last night, phenomenal. Probably, I think, his best performance as an Orioles starter. Six innings, two earned runs. Um, he got charged with the, with the run after he gave up the base hit and then was lifted. Um, Brian Baker came in and eventually gave up that run. Um, that was a, a strange inning. You know, Brian Baker, six straight pitches for, for, for balls including one where he got his foot caught in the mound and threw the ball, you know, 10 feet off to the side of James McCann. So, you know, the runner easily advanced to second, eventually scoring, which is where Gibson's second run came in. So stellar performance from our pitchers lately. Uh, we have Grayson Rodriguez taking the mound tonight. Um, game time's uh, approximately about 15 minutes. So, you know, uh, hopefully good things come from him. Um, I would like to see Grayson get past that five inning. That five inning mark seems to be his plateau. Um, he's maxed out at 99 pitches, um, and five innings has been his longest outing. Uh, but he's usually hovering around that 90 pitch mark in five innings. The strikeouts are there. Um, short outing last time, three and two-thirds. Unfortunately, just did not have it. That was due. You know, he was due for a bad outing. He'd had pretty decent starts. So hopefully we get a lockdown version of Grayson Rodriguez tonight. Usually he pitches stronger when the stakes are higher. And we will see what happens. I uh, expect a pretty good matchup there. Um, Zach Eflin going for the uh, – um, I said Zach Eflin. Um, Tampa Bay race starter, he's pitching tonight. Um He's actually only faced the Orioles once before, and that was back when he was with the Phillies. And 
and once I get my thoughts together, I will actually say his name properly because that I don't want to. Yeah, it is Zach Eflin. I was right. <laughs> so I apologize there. Some reason I kept thinking about the actor, and that's where my mind went. But anyway, uh, he's having a pretty strong season. He's four and zero with a two twenty five ERA. Uh, I'd like to see our bats wake up, you know, specifically Adley Rushman, who's currently in an 0 for 17 slump, Ryan Mountcastle, who's five for his last 26, Cedric, Cedric Mullins, who's five for his last 27. You know, those three alone, easily, if they could just turn it around, would be phenomenal. Um, it, it definitely would be a pickup. Um, this kind of reminds me a lot of last season. Um, you know, to start the year, the Orioles couldn't pitch. We, we were losing games. Um, couldn't hit nothing. Then May comes around. All of a sudden, our hitting started taking off, and our pitching completely went to dog shit. Um, once you know, Adley Rushman came up May twenty first. You know, at the time we're sixteen and eighteen. Of course, our pitching started coming around. Our hitting started to come around, and then by June, it seemed like we actually had a pretty confident and competitive team that ended up staying in postseason contention until, you know, the last week of the season. I'm looking forward to something like that happening again. I think we're still in the that that feel-each-other-out phase. You know, we do have no additions. Adam Frazier, James McCann. Um, you do have Kyle Gibson, you know, Michael Givens. We still have yet to see Dylan Tate. We still have yet to see. They're there. Um, Yanir Cano's come out of nowhere. Ramon Urias, unfortunately, got hurt yesterday. Uh, left hamstring injury was put on the 10-day I.L., um, so we do get Taryn Bavra back up. Ryan O'Hearn comes back up, um, which I think is beneficial because it, Ryan Mountcastle does not need to be playing first base every day. Uh, Ramon Urias did fill in at first base the other day. Didn't do terrible, but definitely don't want to put him there unless we absolutely have to. Uh, McCann and Rushman both have played first base down in the minors before. Um, and Santander, of course, has taken some time over at first base. So we do have options. Ryan O'Hearn is a typical first baseman. So he will be able to give Mountcastle a night off, you know, even let him DH. Um, so um, to go along with Ramon Urias and Ryan O'Hearn being brought up, uh, Drew Rom was brought up. Um, so he will earn number 67 when he makes his first appearance. It'll be his major league debut. Young lefty, a lot of promise. Uh, he pitched only once for us this spring before we opt him to the minor league camp. So look forward to see what he's got. He's a potential future starter for us. Um, probably middle to back end starter. Um, we'll see how electric his stuff plays out in the majors. Obviously taking the step from the minors to the majors is a big adjustment. You're playing with the top 1% of these professional players. So, you know, in the minors, when you're at AAA, you have a collection of, of talented players, but when you get to the majors, you have a top echelon of talent. So there is a step, there is a difference, and we're seeing Gunnar Henderson experience that. Triple A, one of the things with Gunnar Henderson is, you know, he could get away with, you know, sitting back waiting for the fastball and everything like that because you still have pitchers learning and developing their secondary pitches. Up here in the majors, you don't get that possibility, and that's what's going on with Gunnar right now is he can't sit on the fastball anymore, and he's trying to predict when it's coming. It's not happening. So these pitchers are going after him with secondary pitches, change-ups, sliders, curveballs, knuckle curves, you know, all-speed pitches that are actually messing up his timing. He still is getting on base at a 339 clip, which is good, but we need that 192 batting average to come up, and I think, you know, I think we're going to see that start coming around. He's – He's pressing a little bit much because he wants to be successful. Just got to sit back and realize that he's got to play his game 
and stop trying to outsmart the pitchers. He's got the talent. We know he's got the talent. He's proven it. He also is 21 years old, so not overly concerned about him. I think that's going to come. The more playing time he gets, the better off he'll be. Same thing with Kyle Stowers. They sent Kyle Stowers back down to AAA, and the kids just went off 262 average, five home runs, you know, eight, uh, I think 16 RBIs before they called him back up. He's proven he can hit AAA pitching. Now you've got to get to that point where you can hit the major league pitching. There is a difference. There is a step and a tier. Same thing with Grayson Rodriguez. He's learning how to pitch in the major leagues. Ben McDonald said it the other day about him. It's all learning. There is a difference coming from the minor leagues to the major leagues. They use a different ball. So the ball even is completely different feel to it. So, you know, those are the things that you've got to pay attention to and get used to and be patient with this team. Elias has a blueprint of how things are going to go. Speaking of the young guys, I said last episode I needed to talk about Adley Rushman because he's one person I haven't talked about. We're eight episodes into the final strike. So, of course, when I decide to talk about Adley Rushman, what happens? He goes in an 0-for-17 slump. Uh, watching him yesterday, his timing just seems off. I don't know what what all is off about it, but he just seemed a fraction of a second behind on the pitches when he swang. Um, swang? I don't even know if that's where when he was swinging. Um, but it's the same thing I see with Ryan Mountcastle. His timing just seems off. The thing is, when they are making the contact, they are hitting it. They're getting it somewhere. Adley Rushman currently, even in his current slump, he's 5 for his last 26, which equates out to a 192, 344, 269 slash line over his last seven games. Um, he had the day off, then he DH yesterday, so he should be back to catching Grayson today, which is good. Hopefully that'll be a boost to both of, both of them. Um, on the season, you have Adley's batting 271. Um, he's getting on base at a 396 clip, and his slugging percentage is 403. So he's having a pretty strong season at the plate um, overall. Um, one of the things I do like to see is he's walked 28 times versus 23 strikeouts. So he's walking more than he's striking out. And you ask anybody in, in the big leagues, you want that. You always want the player getting on base more than he isn't. He's being productive, four home runs, 18 RBIs. He's also scored 16 runs. Um, he's got a 298 batting average of balls in play. Yeah, that's a good thing. You know, when you're around that 300 and over mark on what you're hitting the ball, you know, you're making contact and getting results out of it. So that is a high, high, high possibility that you will see things turn around quicker than this slump prolongs. And when it does turn around, I got a feeling he's going to go on a tear. Um, he, he's proven that he did it last year. You know, once, once June, July got around, you know, he just went on an absolute tear and ended up, you know, he broke the rookie record for doubles um, that Cal Ripken Jr. had held for so long. A lot of those doubles will start becoming home runs as he gets used to this pitching. So still a lot of baseball left, still time for Adley Rushman to turn around. He has caught 27 games this year. Um, he started 24 of them. So he's come in, you know, later in the game, there was a game where he was a DH and they gave up the DH for him to be able to catch. So we have seen situations where that's happened. Um, he's got no pass balls, which is great. Our pitchers love that. He does have one error, um, but you know, that's all right. He, he had eight errors last year on the season. So he's, he's definitely slowed down the pace of errors. He's still learning the game. So we got to go with it. He's learning about 26.7% of base stealers. Now, the thing about that is not all stolen bases are always on the catcher. A lot of the times they do place them on the catcher because it's the catcher throwing down, whether the throws late, whether the throws wide, but you've got pitchers, you know, and we, we saw this against the Red Sox where the Orioles just had a, uh, 
stolen base frenzy. You've got pitchers who are slow to the plate, which makes it easier for players such as your Jorge Mateos, your Cedric Mullins to jump the pitcher and get the stolen bases. We saw a play last night. I think it was Edwin Diaz stole second. By the time the ball even got to second base, Edwin Diaz was pretty much there. I mean, it still was a close play. I mean, the pop time that Adley Rushman has was was phenomenal. And the fact that it was even as close as it made it was quite impressive. So definitely not not too upset with how we're getting performance-wise. Adley Rushman, a um, little bit of slump, um, but it's a long season. It's a grind. Um, you got to remember this kid, He's he's went from college to the majors, you know, in less than three years. So, you know, he's put in a lot of work. He worked really hard spring training, working with all the various types of pitchers. Um, and one of the things that everybody has always bragged about with Adley Rushman is his preparedness for the game, how he focuses on coming up with a game plan for every game. He knows the ins and outs of the batters that, that they're facing, what to do in certain situations. He involves the pitchers. This guy is just a protege of what you would want a typical catcher to be in. By the time his career is over, I hope we're looking back saying how remarkable and how he transcended the game as a player for the Orioles. You know, we're lucky. You know, we're we're living in a time where, you know, we have Adley Rushman, Gunnar Henderson, Grayson Rodriguez. You know, Colton Kowser is coming. You know, you have Jackson Holiday, And in between all that, you have secondary players like Kyle Stowers, Jordan Westberg, Joey Ortiz, Kobe Mayo, Connor Norby, uh, Dylan Beavers, Creed Williams. You know, we've got all these players that are coming up and transcending. And I was actually talking about this um, today, you know, a couple of different conversations I was having on Facebook and a couple of the Orioles groups I'm in. And, you know, it's it's the blueprint the Astros use. You build, build, build talent, and then you trade for your stars. The Astros built all their talent, eventually traded for – Justin Verlander, Zach Cranky, and uh, Garrett Cole before they went on to win a World Series. Um, they stuck with Verlander and Granky for another couple of years. Cole, of course, we all know signed with the uh, Yankees, but I don't know. You know, uh, it's we're doing all the things the right way, you know, and it, we even brought up, you know, we discussed the pitching um, where, where I think we're at personally with the pitching. I wouldn't change anything right now. I leave the five we got. Um, Kramer definitely took a big step the other day in his outing, um, giving us a chance to win against one of the top offensive teams in the league. And you can't ask for anything better than that. You know, that's what you want your starters to do. If Kramer can pitch like that going forward, we're going to be a okay. You know, Bradish, I still have no qualms about Bradish. He's a second year player. You know, it, it, he got things under control last year after, you know, figuring things out. He's still learning the game. So, I'm comfortable with him. He's not as far along as Grayson, but Grayson is a, a generational talent. So you're going to see a difference. But if we can get Grayson and Bradish nailed down with one and two starters, Tyler Wells is the third starter, you know, we're building something there. But, you know, like I was saying, you know, we have John Means who's due back in June. All right. That is basically like winning at the trade deadline anyway. You're getting a left-handed veteran starter, you know, that's, that can help the team. Um, you have D.L. Hall, you have uh, Garrett Stallings, you have Spencer Watkins, you have Bruce Zimmerman, who all are having pretty strong seasons. Um, after that, you have Kane Povich, um, you know, Drew Rom, who we just brought up. We're going to get uh, 
Kyle Veronovich is coming back. Zach Peak is coming back. Um, they're both coming back from Tommy John surgery. So it's not like we don't have pitching. It's we have so much pitching available here. And then we have a bunch of pitching available below that. So, you know, in a pinch, we have starters who can fill in for one, two, maybe three starts if necessary. And don't forget, we even have Michael Ballman, who was a converted starter to a reliever. So we have depth. And I think it's more depth than people realize. But people are seeing on the surface. And, of course, the surfaces and the eye test is what people are judging everything by. When you follow as deeply as we do, you know, with this club all the way down to the Gulf Coast League, we're seeing these players step-by-step progress, you know, and that's one of the things that we're paying attention to. Um, I had somebody sit there and say that we had better outfield options down in the minor leagues than McKenna. And you know what, right, right now, McKenna has been on a tear. He's batting 309 for the season. Um, He's got one error. Um, He's got four errors over 921 career games. Uh, he's actually one of our better hitters right now in our in his last seven games. I thought um, I saw he was batting something like three seventy five in his last seven games played. So you know he's a fifth outfielder. You know people forget. You know our starting outfielders, Mullins, Hayes, and Santander. You know Stowers slots in behind them, and then you have McKenna who's going to come in with late game defensive replacement or pinch runner. So you know. You look down, Kowser is our next season veteran minor league-wise, and he's played a total of 57 games in AAA ball. He's not major league ready. Uh, I don't care what anybody thinks. You, you, you've got Henderson going through what he's going through right now. Why bring up another player to go through the same thing? You don't help his production. You don't help his growth, especially with the outfield we have. He's not going to be playing a lot. So you're going to be bringing up a prospect to sit on the bench. It's not going to work out the way that you want it to. Um, Those are things that we're talking about is we all want the success for our team. We all want the things to go forward the way that we want. But if we rush things, you tend to break things up. You know, you take, I take Jake Arrieta. He's one of the most prime examples, you know, and um, Zach was posted a quote that came out of the book. Uh, that he was reading about Arietta, and I'll actually read you the quote. Verbatim, the quote says, let's see, where is it? And it's basically, here we go. Direct quote from the Cubs book referring to Jake Arietta, a pitcher once given up as a lost talent by Baltimore Orioles. That's what you don't want, and that's what you don't want coming out of these players. You don't want to be giving up on them too quickly because you rush them to the majors, and then they fall flat on their face. The problem with Jake Arrieta is he was told not to throw his splitter or you know sink or whatever it was that was his most effective pitch, and it didn't benefit him. So he had a 6-plus ERA, and after years of floundering on the Orioles organization, we traded him away. You know, We got decent return for him. He went on to excel him in two Cy Youngs with the Chicago Cubs. And it was because he was able to throw that splitter, you know, and he used that to his benefit and became one of the most dominating pitchers and had an ERA that hung in the twos. So we don't want to take that path again where we give up on a prospect because we rushed them through the majors. Ben McDonald is, is probably one of the biggest examples I can think of when I look back over the history of the Orioles of a player that had all the talent and all the makings of a strong pitcher that was rushed 
and put in a situation where his success wasn't going to benefit him because we wanted a position filled. And the Ben McDonald we saw, which I love Ben McDonald. He's one of my favorite pitchers. He's one of my favorite Orioles of all times. Was not the pitcher we could have had if we had taken the right steps. And those are the things I'm talking about. If you rush these players through and you bring them up too fast, you're going to end up dwarfing their growth. You're going to end up hindering, you know, the abilities that they have, and they're going to start pressing and you're going to have them flame out rather than help you. The idea is to put these players in a position to succeed, advance, and get up to the ability to help the club, whether that's with us or whether they become a key piece in us obtaining a piece to help our club take that next step. You don't want to put them in a position where they fall flat in their face. You know, Joey Ortiz got a taste of action this year. Four RBIs over a four-game stretch. Um, very good. Very well done. You know, um, I, I had somebody say, you know, we could put Jordan Westberg in the outfield. Jordan Westberg's played three games in the outfield across his minor league career. I'm sorry, but that does not transcend you into an outfielder for the majors. You do that, you're going to sit there and end up having another Ryan Mountcastle disaster where we had him in the big leagues. And because we wanted his bat so bad, we we shuffled him between third base, left field, right field, and short uh, first base. You don't want to do that to your players. You're, you're, you're stunting growth when you do that, you know, and and those are the things that you want to avoid. Elias has a blueprint, and whether we want it to happen this way or not, Elias is going to follow his blueprint. He was paid to do his job the way he's doing it. We can have all the opinions in the world, and like the person said to me today, he says, obviously, he says, does your opinion matter? No, my opinion doesn't matter because it's all it is. It's my opinion. Whether you agree with it or not, it's totally up to you. Does not mean I'm right. Does not mean I'm wrong. Elias doesn't care. Elias is going to do what he feels is best. I'm going to look at the grand scheme of things. I'm going to look at the bolts and the nuts that put it together, and I'm going to back it up with facts and statistics to help prove my point. Doesn't mean I'm right. You know, it goes back to the argument I had about Cano not pitching the other day. Cano has pitched 12 of the last 15 games, pitching 16 innings during that time. You know, they said we could have put him in and possibly won the game Saturday, but who's to say we don't put him in and he gives up a home run and we still lose? Then what do you say? Then you say he's over overused. So it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario. You don't win pennants in April and May. Granted, you have to take the opportunity and win when you can, but you also have to keep in mind, if you have other players who are performing at the same level as one, you can depend on those players. Is it always going to be right? No. But on the side of caution, you're going to be right nine times out of ten. Eight times out of ten. Think about it in baseball, good is considered hitting the ball three times out of every ten pitches. So, you know, baseball is measured by a game of low percentages. And yet when you play the high percentage situations, people are going to question as to whether you're wrong. It's a long season, ladies and gentlemen. It's all I can say. It's 162 games. We're not winning the pennant now in May. We've got to do with what we do. Hyde is going to make mistakes as a manager. Every manager makes mistakes. Tony LaRusso has made mistakes. Sparky Anderson made mistakes. Or Weaver even made mistakes. But I bet you they trusted their gut and instinct more than they would the fans telling them what they should and shouldn't do. On that note, we're going to end. Orioles game is getting ready to start. 
I hope to see you all there. Go Birds, go go O's, Code Arms. Uh, I want to thank the Baltimore Battery for giving me the platform to speak on. I want to say thank my sponsor, Scooters for Rent. If you're ever on the Delaware or Maryland Eastern Shore, you're looking for mobility products. And I'm talking about handicapped scooters, electric and manual wheelchairs, beach wheelchairs, and lift chairs. Give them a call, 302-280-6203. They will handle all your uh, mobility needs. After all, they are the fun, uh, fun alternative to walking. Uh, until next time, I appreciate it. Thanks for listening, Birdland. Peace out. A spawn is one strike from victory. Oh, wow. And here's what you pay to see. The best ever. The Rolls and the Chiefs on this pitch. Deep left field.